It is the Ringer NFL show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Carr. Great show. Nor Princiati joins me to discuss the Steelers as one of football's best teams. Lamar Jackson struggling again against Pittsburgh. Sunday Night Football to his debut and much more. Today's episode of the Ringer NFL show and the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Getting great car and home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate. That's like drafting a player that becomes an all-pro. The real deal. State Farm agents provide personalized service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs like a GM putting together their very own roster. You need a team that supports you, and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agents, the award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more. With a great price and even greater service, State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It is the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark, joining the line by Nora Princiati. Nora, what's going on, buddy? Not much, Kevin. Great, great rivalry week. Yes, rivalry week. Steelers, Ravens, capping it off. A lot of great rivalries. It really Cowboys, was getting Eagles. a lot of fighting. Cowboys, Eagles, in theory, is a great rivalry. Has been a great rivalry. Now it is. Will may something. one day resume being a great rivalry. Uh, Seahawks, 49ers. Chargers, Broncos, all sorts of games to get to. Uh, I do want to get to the biggest rivalry in football, Nora, which is Adam Gase against the Jets. He loses a game to the Kansas City Chiefs and says, I'm doing this job to win, not to go out and get my face stomped in. Uh, I have some tough news. If, if his goal is not to get his face stomped in, mission not exactly accomplished right now, Nora. Yeah, not quite. That actually, it's it's funny. We talked about this and we were like, well, let's talk about the Gase comments. And I didn't realize you were going to that one. I actually thought you were going to when, when he said that when they get their starters healthy, which they'll have soon, oh. it'll help stretch the field a little bit. Which They're is due. Like the, They're getting hot at the right time, I think is what you're trying had, to say. They're getting hot right at the right time. They have had 300 yards in a single game this season. Adam Gase has more losses by at least 20 points than total wins as the Jets head coach. But I'm sure that when you get Jamison Crowder and Brashad Perriman, you'll be fine. All right, let's get to actual good football. The Steelers played the Ravens on Sunday. This was one of the most physical, one of the most exciting, one of the games where I think we learned the most about football and what contenders look like in 2020. Uh, The Steelers win 28-24. There's a lot to get to in this game. Uh, obviously, if Willisian catches that pass or there's a late penalty or any number of things go a different way, this is a very different narrative coming out of this game. But as it's currently constructed, the narrative coming out of this game is Lamar continues to be short in big games, that the Steelers, the last undefeated team in the NFL, look like they're among the NFL's elite, uh, and that, quite frankly, the Steelers have Lamar Jackson's number. Uh, in two starts against the Steelers, he didn't play at the end of the last season when the Ravens had a playoff berth tied up. I was actually at that game, the game that Robert Robert Griffin started. Uh, It was not a game to watch. Uh, But in two starts against the Steelers, he has three pass touchdowns, five interceptions. Against everybody else, he has 50 touchdowns and eight interceptions. At some point, we start to talk about Lamar Jackson versus the Steelers and wonder what this looks like going forward. Obviously, they play again on Thanksgiving. Ryan Chaser was on this podcast last week and said he'd rather have, from a Steelers perspective, he'd rather shine on that day than this day because this is a rivalry they'll probably see again in January. But I look at this and I start to think, okay, well, he struggled against the Chiefs. He obviously struggled against the, uh, the Titans in the playoffs. And I'm thinking about the commonality here. I don't necessarily think it's a big game problem. 
I think that, and this this conversation starts to eat itself at some point, but I think it's a smart defense problem. And I think that that's with every quarterback. And every quarterback tends to struggle. It almost reminds me a little bit of the old Tom Brady narrative, which is, oh, well, if you have got four a team where four players can rush Tom Brady and then everybody can drop back, if you're not successful, you can get him with four. Well, that's true of everybody. Like the, the, the narrative with Lamar Jackson right now is that good defenses can can put a stop to him. Well, what quarterback isn't that true for? And I think there's a lot to unpack. Nora, what'd you learn on Sunday? Well, I'm curious, just based on what you said, what constitutes a smart defense, right? Because right. in that Chiefs game, we saw and actually faulted them a little bit for going to the run exclusively too quickly. Right. And this was different, right? They were completely able to run on Pittsburgh, which entered the game with the number two run defense in the NFL. So that was not a given. But it seemed like the Steelers just said, okay, if you want to be one-dimensional, go be one-dimensional. And it didn't seem like an accident that ultimately game on the line comes down to one pass play and the Steelers defend it and they win the game. So it's not necessarily one facet that seems to be shutting them down. So I guess I'm curious just when you say that that smart defenses seem to be having their number a little bit. What do you think that is? Because the way some of these games have played out has been a little bit different. Right. So I'm more speaking about the narrative as far as what we're looking at, what we're talking about and the big game stuff. And I'm saying it's not necessarily as real as it appears. Now, there's a couple of things here. Dan Orlovsky came out and said, you know, Greg Roman dominated the first half using his own read and then never ran it in the second half. And I think that that was part of the problem in the Kansas City game as well, where they kind of lost their identity a little bit, chasing something. And now the Steelers played awful in stretches during these games. I mean, this was to say that this was a perfect game is a little bit of a reach. OK, Sean Gentile from The Athletic had this. He said the Steelers had seven snaps in the first half that resulted in positive yardage that didn't end in a fumble. I'm like, so this is this was not some blowout. And again, there's so many different things where we could have talked about this narrative being completely different. But for me, this comes down to the Steelers being as good at building their roster right now as the Ravens. Now, because the Ravens do it a different way, because they get so much value for the fifth round picks, mid round picks, and they're able to find value from anywhere. We talk about Eric DaCosta more, but Kevin Colbert is just as good at building a team because you look at the 53 man roster right now and there's talent on every on every single level. I mean, Minka Fitzpatrick's trade was amazing. Uh, the ability to lose a player like Devin Bush and have Robert Splane come in, score a touchdown this week, last week, he puts that huge hit on Derrick Henry. The ability of that front seven with, with Bud Dupree and TJ Watt and, and having that speed. And I, I just, you know, Isaiah Bugs to come in and make a huge play in the second half. This was, to me, as big a team-building win for the Steelers and proof of how good they are as a franchise as much as a, a on-field victory. And so I don't necessarily know if we learned anything about Lamar Jackson today that I didn't know already. He had four turnovers. This was not a good day for him. He's had those sort of struggles before. He needs to be more consistent. What I learned today is that the Steelers are if are probably the second best team in the NFL. And I feel like we probably should have seen this coming. I feel like I didn't learn something about Lamar, but maybe cemented something a little bit. And it's not necessarily specific only to Lamar, but I do think that we're collecting a pretty good sample size where their offense can be incredibly explosive, but what they're trying to do is have some sort of explosive passing game built off of the strength of their run game, but they don't seem to have good enough safety valves to get out of plays when they're not going exactly how they want them to. And it seems like Hollywood Brown was not happy having one catch on two targets in this game, which is a little bit ironic to me because before this game, yeah, he had an angry tweet, but it was interesting when I saw that because before this game, he'd never had fewer than six targets in yep. a game. And I would identify the bigger issue for the Ravens being that they don't get good support from their other receivers. And, you know, Willie Sneed had a good game today, yep. but that doesn't always happen. And Sneed, Boykin, Duvernay, they don't always do enough. None of them are averaging more than 25 receiving yards per game. And Lamar, if you couple that with some of his struggles against the Blitz, yep. and we saw them going against one of the most Blitz-happy teams in the NFL and the Steelers, and then that was sort of the Chiefs game plan 
against them as well. That's not necessarily what the the Chiefs do every game to the same extent that the Steelers do, but that was their game plan for the Ravens. I think those two things, just him not being able to dissect that necessarily in the same way that some of the other young quarterbacks that we see being really good at that are, plus the lack of some of those intermediate safety valve guys being really effective, I do think that when they're playing good defenses, they can kind of pick their poison. And if they're good enough so that it doesn't totally stop them, and if they're balanced enough like the Steelers are, where you don't have to have Roethlisberger making a ton of explosive plays, but he can just not turn the ball over, average seven yards per attempt, and keep it moving, that's a pretty decent formula when you're playing a good team. So it comes back to what we were talking about the, at the top of this conversation, where it's not a Steelers problem. It's not a Chiefs problem. It's just that they have a weakness and smart teams yep. are going to figure that out. So that to me is a little bit stronger than I've felt after, after the Chiefs game, certainly after their playoff losses. It's starting to feel like something that differentiates them from the Steelers from the absolute top of the AFC in a way that even last week, frankly, I don't know that I would have said quite so concretely. Sure. So again, it gets into the broader Lamar narrative. So he was hit nine times on Sunday. He threw into tight windows about 20% of the time. Um, this was, you know, Kalen Jones had a nice little breakdown of this on, on the ringer on Sunday. They made him play a game. He doesn't normally play, um, third lowest yards per carry output, 4.1 yards per attempt. Again, if he, if that, uh, if that run, the touchdown run that was called back for a hold, uh, stands, we're having a very different conversation today. So it's a little bit different, but I think that there's just, again, he probably has a bit of a Steelers problem because the Steelers are talented and fast and can make plays. And I feel like that's that would be true of any quarterback that played the Steelers right now. Um, and now it, Ronnie Stanley being out for the year is massive. He has an ankle injury. And that's the kind of injury where that would probably have to change the way they play on some parts of the field just because of how big of a deal Ronnie Stanley was. He sent that huge extension this week for almost $100 million. And they like to play bully ball. And, and the way that they're getting... The way that they're getting, uh, the way they get guys off the ball uh, in the running game. I mean, really, I mean, last year, I remember talking to Paul Alexander about this, um, the the longtime line coach. We, we did a piece on it, and they really only gave you a four or five or six runs, and they just beat the crap out of guys with it. And obviously, they did the different looks and mixed it up and, and all that stuff. But when you bring in someone for Ronnie Stanley, that just changes things. Now, this was as positive a performance as you could possibly have from the Steelers defense against Lamar Jackson. Even the little stuff like Alex Highsmith playing on the outside, allowing them to do some interesting things over the middle of the field, even with Bud Dupree and, and TJ Watt. Vince Williams remains a game wrecker. Isaiah Bugs, who I talked about earlier, uh, came in, did not play well in the first half, and then made one of the plays of the game on a fourth and three. Uh, if you were feeling good about the Steelers tonight, you're going to feel really good about them the next three weeks because you got to look at the schedule. Cowboys on November 8th. Bengals on November 15th, Jaguars on the 22nd. Biggest game is on November 26th against the Baltimore Ravens. We need to start talking about this team among the AFC's elite, and we need to start talking and wondering whether or not this team can get the number one seed in the AFC because it looks pretty good. Nora, what do you think? I think they absolutely are. They're they're gonna they're pretty much a lock to win their division. I know that's a little bit silly to say at this point, but they're already two games up with the tiebreaker. I think they have that balance that we talked about, you know, in a game this close, there's always a player or two that can go the other way. And you can say, maybe if something had been different, we might be having a different conversation. I would push back on that a little bit just because the Ravens were coming off a bye. They're at home. The Steelers were coming off an incredibly physical game against Tennessee. So there were a and lot didn't of get situational... a real buy. and didn't get a real buy. and did not and, get a real and will buy. not get a real buy because of the Titans fiasco. So factoring into this is that situationally, there were a lot of things that I think favored Baltimore in this, and it's a close game, certainly. But if the Ravens had won, there are situations where we wouldn't necessarily be be saying, oh, the Steelers were frauds. They weren't who we thought they were. I think this is a really good team. I think they could. It's just going to be a matter of record with the Chiefs, right? I think either one of them could get it. And at this point, you always say this, but it starts to be a math problem at a certain point. 
And with the schedule that they have left, I almost wonder if, if thinking off the top of my head, I might even pick them to be the one seed at this point. I I probably would too. Uh, When you play a first place schedule, like the chiefs are, there's obviously disadvantages. They play the bucks. They play the red hot dolphins. who We'll get to in a second. Uh, The chiefs play the Raiders. uh, who Obviously they already lost to, and then the saints and then the chargers um, teams where, you know, you'd pick the chiefs, but you just don't know. But I think that we for so long saw this as Ravens, Chiefs, Ravens, Chiefs, Ravens, Chiefs, who's going to who's going to win on January 20th or whatever it is. And that equation changes now. And I think that if they if the Ravens and, and Steelers played 10 times, I'd, I would go five and five at this point. And I did not believe that until this afternoon. Um, this is just a fast physical football team. Um, you know, Kevin Colbert, again, it has just done a masterful job at assembling talent. And there's just, you know, I, I think I learned so much about this team last year. That I was expecting them to be really good this year, um, just having eking out those wins when when they had some of the worst quarterback play in, in football. And then even I know this is a little thing, but even to see the, the Instagram live stuff after the game, where you know Juju and all these guys are going live, and and it looks it, there seems like a good vibe around this team, and, and and that seems to be normal of of Pittsburgh teams. And I just kind of like the directions this team, this franchise is going in right now. And I think I thought it was interesting. Um, that ben Roethlisberger said after the game that he was calling most of the plays in the second half because he says essentially that you know he's always played backyard football, and this was quote this in its truest form. And I think there's something to be said for what Pittsburgh does is like this, this works and they're going to be flexible and they're going to say, okay, Ben playing playground football is what works. Let's just do that. And, and, you know, Juju was, was, was on point. Um, the, the line was on point. I just think that there's, there's something going on here with Pittsburgh. Where I'm pretty impressed as far as a team helping at stock from what I thought about them in August until now, even though I picked them to make the playoffs, uh, I can't imagine a team impressing me more than the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2020. Again, especially you consider the fact that they had the game plan for the Titans twice. I thought that was like a weird, like maybe that helped them, the ability to to game plan for a team twice and then one game gets canceled, all that stuff. But I, they, they, they didn't have a full bye week. And I know, you know, Joe Burrow was asked, what's he going to do on his bye week this week? And, and he said, absolutely nothing. And I think that's probably the vibe of most players in the NFL. But still, to not know you're on a bye and do a full week of practice is essentially... I mean, that really wrecks with you and their ability to just overcome that. And it's, um, I love the Steelers team. Mike Tomlin definitely gets the most hindsight coach of the year awards. And this, this might be oh another God. one. And every year he had Antonio Brown on the team. Totally. Uh, and now, I, now just slightly below that is having the screwed up bye week. We're going to move on from this, but I love this that from CBS. The Ravens are the first team since at least 1950 to outrush an opponent by 200 yards and outpass them by any amount and lose. So like this was, again, you look at the box score, you're not expecting this result. Well, we talked about the how much the Steelers blitz and what that does to Lamar, and I don't know that you necessarily saw it a ton this game in the yeah. same way that we saw it in the Chiefs game just because he wasn't, they were running the ball so much that kind of obscures the effect of it a little bit. But where you did see it was the turnovers. And yes. that was really what this was about was that he was so flustered. And at a certain point that I think was just too much for them. So it was interesting. I felt like that was the biggest matchup going into this game. And then midway through, just because they were running so much, you hadn't quite seen it. But I think that's where it showed up the most. All right, quickly, we talked about the golf widening in the AFC North. Let's talk about the Browns here for a second. They play a very strange game, wind, what, 40 miles per hour or something like that. Uh, they lose to the Las Vegas Raiders 16-6. to What did we learn? A wintry mix is what I heard the weather report was. November 1st, a little too early for that. We had snow in Boston a couple days ago. We had like four inches this is of snow. Not, this is not right. I loved it. I loved it. I right. love winter. So... I'm kind of throwing this out a little bit. The Browns are five and three. The Raiders are four and three. Um, both of them will be in the thick of it for the last wild card spot. But you saw some of those. It looked like slider pitches. Some of those field goals out there. Very strange game. Uh, Browns couldn't really do it. Couldn't get off the field. But I don't know. I, I, I are we ready to throw out the Browns are better without OBJ theory? I mean, throw I it in the trash can. Ever... Not, not throw it out on the pod. I mean, throw the narrative in the trash can. Yeah, I think, I think the only yards, reason that we're not ready to do that is because we we already put it in the trash can. We didn't even really accept that. We just we pulled up a like a tennis racket and hit it back yeah. to from whence it came. 
I'm with you that this is a weird game. I don't totally know what to make of it beyond just feeling like the fact that the Browns couldn't really run the ball is an issue because that's the one thing that you would expect to hold up in a game like this. Beyond that, if they'd been better in the red zone, they could have won. And Baker's probably going to get a lot of heat because he's going to get a lot of heat whenever they lose. But they had drops. Landry had that touchdown called back. I, I just can, can we say thank you next and did make you, our judgments in the future? Did you know that before Tua today threw a touchdown that Jarvis Landry was the last left-handed quarterback to throw a touchdown? That's incredible. I was just blown away by that. Um, all right. The, the, the Browns have a bye. I think that this confirms what we already knew, which is that the AFC North is a two-horse race and the Browns are not involved in it. That's fine. They, I never expect them to be. Congratulations to the Browns for being, as long as uh, Miles Garrett is, is healthy, uh, congratulations to the Browns for still being in the mix of the wild card. So I think it, it's a tough loss, again, from a math perspective, but I, it's, it's uh, I didn't, I'm not, you know, canceling them or anything like that. All right, before we get to Sunday Night Football, Avery Williamson, linebacker, goes from the Jets to the Steelers. Very nice of him to go from winless to undefeated in, what, three hours? Yeah, it's very exciting. Big, big day. Yeah, and, uh, you know, fine to get some value if you're the Jets. Uh, not a lot. Fifth-round pick and uh, seventh-round seventh rounder goes to the Steelers. Um, so, you know, basically a pick swap. Steelers get some depth. Good trade. All right, uh, let's get to Sunday Night Football. You know, when we talk about Lamar Jackson or Ben Roethlisberger, we're essentially picking nits because if you want to talk about actual bad quarterback play and not just for stretches of the game, not just, not just a handful of mistakes, sustained and thorough bad quarterback play. You go to the NFC East, Nora, the Philadelphia Eagles beat the Dallas Cowboys 23 to nine. Carson Wentz, 123 yards. Ben DiNucci in his debut, 180 yards, not a good football game. Chris Ryan, our beloved colleague at the ringer sums it up by saying, I felt myself getting dumber by watching this game. I feel like we were all kind of there. Nora, what'd you think? So, I don't want to say mean things because I think. So sh- should we stop? Should we stop the segment then? I'm just going to say some things that I thought were fun. Um, one, I'm the Wildcat for- offense. Yeah, uh, I'm happy for Ben DiNucci. This is a big moment, regardless of the results. I'm sure his family is very proud of him. Two, uh, probably the the most valuable and effective player for the Cowboys was Greg Zerline, and it reminded me of the Rams all or nothing season from several years ago when John Fassel was their, their special teams coordinator. Yes. And he did this thing called dojo Fridays. If I remember correctly, where on Fridays he would like wear a headband and maybe bang a gong to signify that the week of practice had gone well. And it struck me as incredibly odd. And I hadn't thought about that in years, but I remembered it seeing him on the sidelines. Um, I also think it is very funny on Twitter when Mike McCartney, who's an agent, gets mistaken for Mike McCarthy. So this is my version of if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And I'm trying to have something to say here. And those were the things that I enjoyed. So Rodney McLeod returns one of the dumbest touchdowns I've seen in a long time. Like truly. Idiotic. Ben DiNucci fumbles the ball. It gets kicked around. An offensive lineman from the Cowboys kicks it backwards, and then it becomes a half yard, half half a, half a length of the football field uh, touchdown. This was pretty much what. If you expected anything different from this game, that's on you. Okay. The only point I guess you could make is that we see what the Cowboys are when they get any Dalton back. They won't be that much better. We know what the Washington football team is, although they have a little better defense than some of the other teams. And we know what the Giants are. They're Daniel Jones falling down in the open field. So I think I made the comparison to everyone trying to dunk on an eight-foot hoop on Friday's column about the Cowboys. I think that the Eagles will be able to do this. This is my analysis. They are competent enough relative to other teams. They are not competent relative, relative to the average NFL team, but they are competent enough relative to NFC East teams to win this division. That is all. They will not. They will host a playoff game. They will not win it. 
There's nothing beyond that. If you're an Eagles fan, don't try, don't get excited about anything else. Gonna win the NFC East. Get a hat, get a t-shirt. I have a feeling that, that you can get to seven wins. 2020 NFC East hat then becomes like an ironic thing, you know, in Philly. We'll get Chris Ryan one, get Andy Greenwald one. And uh, and yeah, it'll be good. Nothing else. Incredible vintage item. Incredible vintage item. There is no no expectation beyond that. And quite frankly, I'm happy to be able to do this because I was worried that, that I wasn't going to be able to draw that conclusion out of this game tonight. But that's it. All right, let's get to winners and losers. Miami Dolphins. A big win over the Los Angeles Rams in Tua's debut. I was surprised by it. I didn't see this level of dominance. We shouldn't be surprised by anything the Dolphins have done this year. They they dismantled the Niners. Um, they're they're vaguely hot. They made this they made this quarterback change at a really strange time. What'd you learn? Vaguely hot is hilarious. Well, they were dominant everywhere except on offense, right? I, Tua didn't look good. I, I I hate to be a hater, but this is what I want to talk about right now. I don't think it was the right decision to start him and. Brian Flores is a lot smarter than me, but I think we're looking at some kind of iffy process here. Um, I had a hunch, just a hunch, that because their original buy was supposed to be in week 11, yeah. they were maybe thinking about starting Tua after that. And then when that got switched because of COVID scheduling, they thought, well, maybe we'd rather still have the extra week of preparation before sticking him in there. Then Jay Glazer went and backed it up with uh, what I believe was actual reporting. So shout out Jay for helping us out there so we can talk about this with a little bit more backing. But I don't think it worked out very well. And we've seen how competitive they can be. And I wonder what it means for them going forward, because if he's not ready and we saw how well Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing, I actually wonder if a team that could conceivably be a wildcard team is really hurting themselves by doing this. And I don't understand why you'd want your rookie quarterback to start opposite Aaron Donald in his first start after recovering from a brutal, brutal injury. And I know too is a special player, but he just didn't look ready. And I know they won and they, they shut down Jared Goff and they had a great game plan. But I don't think that it can excuse what seems like a bit of bad process to me. So sorry to start it off with all the hate in our winner's section. But a bad process call. Okay. All right. So first of all, there's a number of things here. Number one, he becomes the first. You can't even get through the sentence. No, I I, there's a lot I can't get through. So he becomes the first. Uh, rookie quarterback to win his first start with fewer than 100 passing yards in 20 attempts since Donovan McNabb in 1999. Landy Ooh, ball uh, So he has, what, 93 passing yards in his debut. Uh, he's the 22nd quarterback to start since Dan Marino retired, um, and hopefully hopefully for a long time he'll be the last. Uh, this was a dominant performance from the Dolphins, and I think that you're encouraged if you're Brian Flores tonight or you're Chris Greer or you're Stephen Ross. Uh, if you're Chan Gailey right now, uh, I'm sure kind of echoing your point that there are questions whether or not this was the right time. But I think, you know, Jeff Darlington brought this up. If the team can win and support the quarterback, then I think it's it's an okay decision. And you start to grow with two and you start to go from there. I don't think their expectations this year were to win the Super Bowl. They have all these picks and, and you know, it was written this week that, that the, the fact they have all these picks kind of alleviate some of the pressure um, on their expectations this year and what they do and they can build on this. And so I think I've never, listen, Patrick Mahomes was given the greatest system and situation of all time when he was a rookie. He he learned behind Alex Smith. He was given a personal quarterback coach, essentially, in Mike Kafka. He learned under Matt Nagy. Andy Reid was obviously there telling him him all the stuff when he was a rookie. But that's not going to be everybody. And Brian Flores is not going to necessarily build the same system. And I think we look at the Patrick Mahomeses and the Aaron Rodgers of the world and they say, well, they sat. But did anybody ever get worse because they played immediately unless it was through injury? Like there's some guys I think that they get the yips and, you know, they get hit so much that their career ends. I think David Carr is probably one of those guys. But as long as you can keep him generally upright. And again, there's questions about the, the Dolphins offensive line. Our buddy Mina Kimes uh, gotten a bit of a, a Ted Karras like called her out for some reason. And then Mina Kimes has proven completely correct. Ted Karras was like my favorite Patriot I ever covered. He's a delightful human being. So he he's, he's seems like a very nice person. 
Huge uh, fan of The Office. Is he now? Him and yeah. Kirk Cousins. We need to get, need to get a pod together. Um, okay, so th- as long as he can stay healthy, uh, as long as the, the, the Dolphins can keep him healthy, I think he tried to play him. If it got into a situation where he's getting hit on every play, obviously we sell the strip sack on the first play and all that stuff. But if that just can, keeps happening, then you put Ryan Fitzpatrick back in there and, and you start again. But as long as he can stay healthy and, and they, can, they can keep him upright, I, w- I would get him as much playing time as possible because you're not playing for 2020. You're not playing for 2020. You're not, probably not even playing for 2021. You're getting these picks in and you're, build, you're trying to build a dynasty, sustainable dynasty. That's the reason you take a step back and you get all these picks and you trade Laramie Tunsil and you trade Mike Fitzpatrick and all this stuff is you're trying to accumulate assets, right? It's Sam Henke. That's the whole deal, okay? And they put a timetable when I talked to them of two to three years on this thing. And I think that it's on track. And I think getting two a reps right now is fine. I'm not offended by it. I, I'm sad for Ryan Fitzpatrick, all that stuff. But I understand why you would do it. Uh, from a Rams perspective. Wait, hold on. Can I say oh. why I am offended by it? Deeply offended? I'm just kidding. I'm not offended. But. Here's what I would say to that, which is that it's not about Tua. I think Tua's okay in this situation. I think the reps probably, they will probably do him some good. Although the idea of Aaron Donald versus Eric Flowers makes me very terrified. They got through that and it's okay. And I don't think it's going to do him harm. He's alive. (laughs) Praise be. What I do think is that this is a team that when people talked about them tanking and when they had a really bad record in the first half of the season last year and then got Mm. a little frisky in December, this is a team that has like recoiled at the idea of losing games on purpose. And they're not trying to lose with two up. They were just bad last year. If Ryan Fitzpatrick gives them a better chance to win, I don't like that they're going back on that particularly if the plan originally was to give him a little bit, when I say him, I mean Tua, a little bit more time to prepare. And then because they got thrown for a loop because of the scheduling, rushed it. I just think that you should stick to what the original plan was unless he is absolutely proving you wrong in practice. And then even then, because I think we've heard various reports out of Florida that he's looked really good. But I just think that if your original starting quarterback is playing so well, I don't like the idea of benching him. And if they're going to do it, you kind of want to see it go super well. And I would just argue that like, for instance, Tua is a lefty as we've discussed. So he likes to roll out to his left. So he's not throwing across his body. Right. And the Rams blitzed him a lot from the right side yeah. to take away those throws. That's going to happen to him. And that's one of those things that I think is an early test, right? Of are they prepared for it? Is he ready for it? You can excuse a lot in a first start, especially after what he's been through, but I didn't think that he looked very good handling that. And I just wonder, which we're never going to know the answer to, but I wonder if that would have changed with even a couple more weeks. And I also wonder what the other players who their stats matter, their contracts matter, all of those situations matter, what they think of that, particularly with how good their defense, their specialty, like everything else was so good. I, it just, it really, I don't know why it really rubbed me the wrong way. And I love Tua, but. Whoa. I will say, moving this debate aside, Christian Wilkins, Emmanuel Ogba, Van Ginkle gets a touchdown. Like these, this defense is. It's got some talent there. And I know that, you know, someone today said that Ogbo is probably one of their best outside additions um, this year. And, and I'm, I'm inclined to agree. And so I just think that the, the talent is here. And I think that they, they can beat almost anybody going forward. Now, a couple of people are trying to call for them to win the AFC East. I just don't think it's, it's happening, especially after Sunday. I still think the Bills, just from a talent perspective, a math perspective, and a maturity perspective are probably a little bit better, but I think you're you're looking at, at 2021 for them to actually compete. I think that starts by giving him the start now, Nora. Much to your chagrin. I am seriously chagrined. I did think the Rams helped them out a little bit, and the, the Dolphins' defense is really impressive. It's the way that they 
blitz from the secondary. They had a ton of zero blitzes that Goff just really couldn't adapt to. Yeah. Michael Brocker said he'd never seen that kind of pressure before. Which is kind of crazy because he plays with Aaron Donald. It's a different kind of pressure, but still. Yeah. He's playing a lot of football. I did think, though, that, I mean, we so one thing we know about Jared Goff is that he's one of the most variable quarterbacks in football when he's clean versus when he's pressured. <laughs> that's one way to put it. That's, that's, that's a nice way to say it. And here's the thing is that Sean McVay had him throw 61 times in this game when he apparently pulls running backs like out of thin air and the Dolphins just can't stop the run. So I didn't really understand that. I, I'm all the credit to the Dolphins defense for dialing up pressure and all the different ways that they were able to do it and really confusing him. But I did think that the Rams kind of played into their hand there when they could have just tried to run the ball a little bit more. I'm really backseat coaching this game. I don't know why, but that was what I felt. All right. AFC East Buffalo bills beat the New England Patriots. At some point we have to stop talking about the Patriots because they're just, they are who we thought they were the last three weeks. They're just not going to get better. We've had different viewpoints on the Patriots, and at no point do we think they could win the division. Uh, but we thought they'd probably be better than this. Cam Newton fumbles on a game-tying or game-winning drive right at the end. He's turning the ball over at an alarming rate. He says that he's the reason, and his ability to to hold on to the ball is the reason they keep losing the games. I'm inclined to agree. Uh, this is not this is not a good football team, and the Buffalo Bills um, did not play a perfect game, but they won. What did we learn? It was weird because one of the things in New England that's been going around as people have tried to diagnose what the issue is, is there was the perception of a mechanical issue with Cam where he wasn't throwing accurately to his well, right and it had to do with his that. plant foot. And then most of his completions were to the right today. So It was like when Michael Jordan, uh, could, they said he couldn't play defense and then he won defensive player of the year. It's like that, except Cam Newton was still bad. Except Cam Newton was still bad. Um, yeah, the mechanical thing, the funny thing was the mechanics Twitter couldn't even agree on what the mechanical problem was, which is a bad sign for Cam Newton. It was like some people were like, well, his feet are misaligned. Other people were like, well, his shoulders. As like, well, Listen, if, if people can't agree, uh, if everything's wrong with your mechanics, uh-oh. He was also throwing to not a single receiver who was drafted in any draft. Yeah. And I just... I think where we are with the Patriots is that when we were talking to Ryan Chazier for the pod last week, he had the only good Patriots take I've heard all year, which is that they're not winning because they're bad. They're bad. We keep looking for reasons for them to be good. And it turns out they don't have very much talent. And the coaching that makes a huge difference when it's equal amounts of talent does not matter when there's massive disparities in it. Oops. Funny how that works. Oops. All right. Uh, Bills, again, Fine. Nothing, nothing to write home about. Um, Happy Josh for Allen. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, it, it's it, I think this was the first win uh, in Buffalo against the, the Patriots in 2011, um, which was a wild year. I will say uh, not to get away from this too much, but I would say that this is the kind of game where I wish that they had fans like I, I wish that they had. Again, in a perfect world, uh, 80,000 fans where Bills fans could really have enjoyed this. Um, and, you know, just Josh Allen running into the end zone, spiking the ball, which he did today on that rushing touchdown. Like there was some uh, there were some moments there because I remember that 2011 game and it was amazing. And uh, hopefully, hopefully next year, everything will be back to normal. That's all. Get the tables someday. Get the table. I, 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 I haven't looked into this. There are tables coming out in like homes and stuff, right? I'm sure. Private tables. I'll. I have some goodwill with with Bills Mafia Twitter right now because I did a feature on Josh Allen. I'll ask him. I'll ask my buddies. Right. We'll get that out there. All right, quickly. Uh, Joe Burrow, who beat the Tennessee Titans, and I don't want to keep saying it was a weird game. Maybe it was just a weird Sunday, but Joe Burrow beats Tennessee Titans. Uh, I liked what I saw from Joe Burrow in particular in a game where they had, I think, four backup offensive lineman where Carlos yeah, Dunlap requested a trade midweek by posting a real estate listing and got it. Uh, John Ross requested a trade as well. I mean, it seemed pretty chaotic. Everything seemed to be trending in the wrong direction. Uh, Joe Burrow played well. And then, by the way, the Tennessee Titans helped them out by being complete non-events. Uh, what do we think about this one? I'm kind of going to throw away the Titans offense from this one. I just thought Tannehill was super erratic. But 
their inability to pressure quarterbacks is awful. awful, becoming a significant issue when you can't sack Joe Burrow, who's been getting hit left and right and is playing behind an offensive line that's missing four starters. 249 yards, 106 rating. One backup per bedroom in Carlos Dunlap's now vacant house. Is it when well, I don't know if it's it's, it's it, it might have been a three bed. Sold it furnished. Well, no, he said he said it could have been furnished. He said you could. Well, take I'm not furnished. worried about know, the. I was I was happened. just speaking to the quantity of bedrooms. I don't. They can sleep oh, on okay. the floor. Yeah, I meant the. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. We we have nobody. Nobody I know bought it. From what I understand, none of the PFF guys in Cincinnati bought it. There's only people I know in Cincinnati. All right. So then for all we know, it is a vacant home that's being populated by a horde of backup Bengals offensive linemen. That's my theory. So I can't get over this. Okay. This is from Joe Rex Road. This the Titans are on pace to destroy the all-time record for third down percentage allowed, 62.5%. Nobody on record has ever been above 50%. So the Titans cannot get off the field worse more than any team in history. They are elite at not getting off the field on third down. That's what they do. That's what happens when you don't get after the quarterback. That's what happens when you just have a generally bad defense. And I, from an organization that I, I like so much, just for, I think they're a smart organization with, with a really good defensive coach, Mike Vrabel and John Robinson, who I, I, I've praised a lot on this podcast as a guy who could identify physical players. I am shocked that they can't. You know, the Vic Beasley signing was a disaster. The Clowney signing wasn't all that good. Uh, there is no excuse for as much as we praise John, uh, Joe Burrow and all this stuff. There is no excuse to lose this game. It's awful. I don't know. I mean, you, you can lose like this against the Steelers. That's fine. That's accepted. You can't lose this game against the Bengals. You can't do it. All right, next loser. Speaking of bad defenses, listen, run defense doesn't have to matter. You can have a bad run defense, still have a great team. The Green Bay Packers are testing that theory. Dalvin Cook surpasses 200 yards from scrimmage and four touchdowns, four touchdowns against the Packers at Lambeau Field. First Viking to score four touchdowns since Ahmad Rashad in 20 years, in 20 years, Dalvin Cook's going to be playing golf on television with whatever NBA star is at his peak at that point. What's the ball? What's the younger ball who's going to be the first overall pick in this draft? LaMelo. LaMelo Ball and Dalvin Cook are going to be doing a walk and talk golf interview in 2035. Awful tackling. Rob Domowski has them. He said that they tackled, they touched Cook in the backfield 12 times. They gained 4.3 yards per rush on those on those plays, uh, 52 yards. Uh, this is, they're not creating turnovers. This is a fatal flaw, potentially fatal flaw. If, if teams can just run on the Packers all day, uh, again, this does not have to matter. But when you're this bad, it absolutely matters. If we have an elongated conversation about the value of run defense right now, I will walk into the sea, and I think you probably feel I don't the same want to way. do it. So I, the the what, damn Packers forced us to have this conversation. They should not. Right. We should not be having this conversation. And Dalvin Cook made us do it. We should be. You know, it's funny because people were saying so before the game or after the game. Aaron Rodgers says, "Well, you know, a wide receiver would be good at the trade deadline." If I'm Brian Gutenkunst or Matt LaFleur, the only thing I'm worrying about the next 48 hours is fixing this fatal flaw to the point that the, a, a another weapon for Aaron Rodgers might go by the wayside. And it really should, frankly. And this is the thing that's tough about it, right? Which is that run defense doesn't matter until it matters. It's not something that you want to put a lot of resources into. I think that is true. But then all of a sudden, when it matters, if you're playing a game in the slop, if you're playing Dalvin Cook on a really good day, if you are the Chiefs getting stopped from going to the Super Bowl because you have to play a Patriots team that can run the ball and basically do, do nothing else, then all of a sudden it matters. And in some ways, the Packers are lucky that they know that it matters for them right now while they still have time to make a move and try to fix it. But the problem is then you get forced into the situation where it where nine times out of 10 or eight times out of 10 or whatever it is, you don't want to devote a lot of resources to that. But since the trade deadlines in a couple of days, you kind of have to 
choose whether or not you're going to do that. And I think at this point, because of how good their offense is, they don't want to waste this opportunity. And I think that they should go for it and try to get someone. But this is the situation that gets at the heart of what people are talking about when they debate running back value and run defense value until I, as discussed, want to walk into the sea. But it's also the situation the Packers are in. So I'm curious to see what they do with the deadline. I absolutely think that they should try to upgrade there rather than get Rogers support on offense because the offense is fine, but the run defense is not. I just don't know what you do. You know, Mike Pettin, I think, has been a pretty good defensive coordinator over his career. Um, and I, I have faith that he's going to fix this. But listen, guess who's next on the schedule? The 49ers. And guess what they did? with the run game against the Green Bay Packers, they destroyed them last year to the point that I, everybody had almost written off the Packers competing this year for the NFC because of how much the, the 49ers pushed them around in their two meetings. Luckily, that reversed itself. We have higher expectations for the Packers now. I actually think the Packers are a better team than the 49ers. But if the Packers have these sort of weaknesses going into SF, they're going to get bullied off the ball. So they've got the 49ers this week. Jaguars next week, which is a different deal. Colts, Bears, Eagles. I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I worry when, when a team sees red like this with, with a team and they say, okay, we can, we can attack this and we can just do one thing over and over again. I think that, that's when you start to get in trouble. And so whatever it is to fix it, they've got to do it. All right, let's talk about the Bears staying in the NFC North a little bit. So they lose a game 26 to 23. Uh, there's a lot to get to. First of all, I did not expect a should they start Mitch Trub- or should they put in Mitch Trubisky debate. Did not see that coming. Nick Foles goes uh, twenty-eight to forty-one for two hundred and seventy-two yards, two touchdowns, and interception. Uh, Drew Brees two hundred eighty yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Alvin Kamara does his thing. Um, I think this game is going to be remembered unfairly uh, because the Saints are now five and two, and the Bears are five and three. These both these teams will make the playoffs. Uh, this game is going to be remembered for the the slap fight. Was that a slap fight or was that? See, I was hoping you would actually break this down for me because I think you tweeted something about how that yeah. all that whole altercation had a lot of Florida energy. As a a soft northeastern girl, tell me what happened because so, I would call that a punch, not a slap. So it looked like Wims sort of people were saying he grabbed a, a almost like he tried to grab a chain. I don't, that doesn't look like, it looks like he's, he kind of touched his, his chest and then he punched him and then they kind of looked at each other for a second. They punched him again. Okay. And I sort of thought, I, I thought he kind of tapped him on the shoulder just to be like, Hey, you, no, I'm about chest. to punch you in the yeah, helmet. I don't know. Yeah. That, that part, unless we're mic'd up, which even if we're mic'd up, they will burn that footage and we will never see it. But it, I think that first of all, I was not surprised when. Wims was revealed to me to be from Florida, from Jacksonville. Uh, Gardner Johnson is also from Florida. Uh, Janoris Jenkins, who was breaking up the fight and was kind of the first man in there, he's also from Florida. I actually covered a game he played in high school. Um, This had some Florida energy to it. And I don't know what the actual story is, and we'll find out. But those sort of... uh, There's only two fights in Florida, okay? The first is like the weird, terrible technique sucker punch, which is what we saw in this game. And it didn't even matter because... Chauncey Garner Johnson was wearing a, a helmet. And that's another kind of hallmark of Florida is that, that, that it doesn't even make any sense what you're doing. And the other Florida fight is just two dudes who are just talking about fighting for like 30 minutes. And nobody ever fights. And so you, you either get one or the other. This was absolutely the former. And uh, it was just, just some good Florida energy. I've seen this. I've seen this at many like a, you know, a tiki bar in, uh, in Key Largo. You Why know, does like Chauncey Gardner-Johnson keep getting punched? So he's been punched now Didn't by... did he get in a fight with Michael, Michael Thomas? Mike, Michael Thomas. And, and now with Wims. I, I, don't, I don't know. I also... I will never get over players punching players in the helmet. First of all, don't punch people. Punching is not nice. We all went to kindergarten. To punch someone in a helmet is a variation on one of what I believe to be the stupidest acts routinely performed by mostly men. I don't mean to gender stereotype here, but humans, which is the wall punch, the helmet punch, the punching a solid object 
that can cause much more damage to you than you can cause to it. And the the NFL hockey 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 players do that too. Just punch the helmet. Yeah, but they're like hockey players are like they're so wrapped up that I I almost put that in a different category. But you're right. You're right. It was not a productive fight. It was not a productive fight for anybody. Also, Wims was like celebrating afterwards, like he'd won something. I don't know. This was this. I've seen this. I've seen this fight so many times in downtown Orlando. <laughs> what a sentence just that guy, is. A guy, a guy starts a fight, kind of loses it, and then just goes around celebrating it. I've probably say, been. I've probably Jenkins. broken up those fights. I've probably broken up those fights. You were the, the Janoris Jenkins. Yeah, I've caught. I've caught a few in my day. Just innocent bystander. Uh, all right. From the game perspective, I don't know. Surprised at anything? Not really. It seemed like uh, there was some good foals in there, right? But we get that with him. And I then there was some bad foals, which you also get. And it it's just good felt Alan Robinson. Like, yeah, I feel bad for Alan Robinson. I wish we Alan Robinson could could live a different life than the one that he's living right now. Um, I did think that the clamoring for Mitch is sort of funny because different does not necessarily mean better guys. All I would say to the wonderful people of Chicago. I want to ask about Alan Robinson real quick, because we've got a reader question that I am not, we're not going to get to, but I want to bring it up. It's from a guy named Norm. He said, how many times would you have to randomize a grouping of five quarterbacks to find a worse group than the ones Alan Robinson has caught from? So it's Blake Bortles, Mitch Trubisky, Chase Daniel, Chad Hennigan, Brian Walters. I don't know who that is. I don't know who Brian Walters is. I think the answer is probably what? What's the Brian pool Walters, of quarterbacks? Brian Walters is a former Jaguars quarterback who played in 2015 and 2016. He's in the practice squad for a little bit. I don't know who this is. Sorry to this man. I don't know who Brian Walters is. Brian um, Walters, oh, come on the Ringer NFL show. I, I'm, I, I'm sure he's a very nice person, but I... I just don't know who he is. Um, this seems like it would. I don't know if I mean. I guess you could add Nathan Peterman in there. He played with uh, Hackenberg in college. Well, it so the answer depends on what the pool is, right? Like who qualifies as a quarterback? Is it current quarterbacks currently on rosters? Because I kind of think the answer to that would be one, two, not a lot. I'm looking into something that is very important here. It appears that Brian Walters, the former Jaguar, is a wide receiver. What is, was going on with the Jaguars on this throw? He threw one pass in his entire career in 2015. That's just why I didn't know who he was. And it was to Allen Robinson. He was not the quarterback. Yeah, he was to Allen Robinson. And it was not. His, Q, his lifetime QBR is 1.9. Tough one. Still better than, I'm going say something. 1.9 is pretty good. It's, that's a, right there in the middle there for Allen Robinson quarterbacks. All right, before we move on, let's take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Businesses have had to be flexible this year, from working remotely to pivoting their business models for long-term survival and growth. I've been eating outdoors at restaurants for eight months now, ordering takeout, really enjoying the flexibility of the dining industry. 
If you're in charge of hiring for your business, these pivots have made your job even more challenging, especially if you have to hire for brand new roles. Thankfully, there's one place that you can always count on to make hiring faster and easier. ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNFL. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job boards with one click. Then ZipRecruiter's powerful technology finds people with the right skills and experience for your job and actively invites them to apply. It's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See for yourself. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNFL. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash R-I-N-G-E-R-N-F-L. Let ZipRecruiter take hiring off your plate so you can focus on growing your business. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNFL. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right. Honorable mentions. Isaiah, let's go. Let's do this. We're not going to screw this up. I'm so ready. Nora, are you ready for this? We're not going to screw this up. Now I'm scared. (laughs) All right. First, Colts first lines. Nora, go. So I'm a little bit of a cold skeptic, but they scored 41 points. Very impressive. The only thing I would say is that I think this was a particularly good matchup for their offense. They use their tight ends. They use their running backs. They're so important to them, less so than the receivers. And the Lions are so bad against 12 and 22. They just are addicted to man coverage and don't prioritize the right things. So not to throw cold water, but I just want to see them do it against a different defense. How many wins do you think the Lions have to win this year to for me to start praising a win over Matt Patricia? Like if I if they get to like seven wins later in the year and a team beats Matt Patricia, am I excited about that? You could be excited. We'd be excited for like Matt Stafford. Yeah, I guess. Uh, Chargers or Broncos? Boy, the Chargers are still the Chargers, huh? So Matt Patricia is addicted to man coverage. The Chargers are addicted to blowing sixteen plus point leads. Is what we. That's the situation. Drew Locke. Three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Not since Peyton has somebody done that. Yeah, and then he tried to Dougie. He did try to Dougie. I will say this. I like Drew Locke's, like, moxie and grit and all that stuff significantly more than I like him as just an overall passer. I don't know, I don't know what that – I don't know what his destiny is. I don't think he's ever going to be a great quarterback, but I, I like him in these sort of fun situations. He's got the chance to be a more fun quarterback than a great quarterback. Does that make sense? And we live for it. Uh, okay, Seahawks, versus, Seahawks versus 49ers. Uh, Seahawks get a little bit of pressure on the quarterback uh, on 38% of their dropbacks. That's their best pressure percentage since week 6 2018, according to ESPN. Nora, anything there? So it's interesting that we think the the Packers are kind of screwed defending the run against them because yeah. the Seahawks were actually kind of... No! Yeah, wow. Uh, almost got that we'll point We'll never out. know. We'll never know. We will never know what your Seahawks... Packers point was. Darn it. Uh, all right. They only questions. had 52 rushing yards. The Seahawks? The or 49ers. The Niners. the Niners against the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. So we can I oh. think we kind of categorize the Seahawks and the Packers together a little bit because they have great offenses and terrible defenses. And I'm just saying that I still think the Packers are are gonna not have a fun time defending the 49ers run game, but it was at least encouraging that Seattle had some semblance of run defense. Yeah, that was good. And Bobby Wagner. All of every single phrase I said in that like went up at the end because I'm like, ah, I don't trust these people. Because you thought we were going to cut you off because you, you disrespected the honorable mentions structure. <laughs> disrespected the timer. Uh, okay. I like I like Bobby Wagner's underrated Twitter, which comes out on days like this. All right. Uh, fan questions. Fan question number one. First from Will Cooper. What are the Jets waiting for? It's incredibly philosophical. Um, a meteor? I, I I think we know the answer to that. I don't think they're particularly trying to win games, is what is what I would say to that. So you now agree with the Sean Fantasy take that they are they are yeah. tanking so on ta- purpose. I, I I think that they thought that there was a chance this year. With Sam Darnold being a little bit into his career. Maybe there'd be something here. And and I just think once they saw it, they were like, we can't, we can't risk a three-game winning streak here. There is nothing, there is no win or like locker room excitement or whatever it is worth losing Trevor Lawrence. Nothing. Don't be short-sighted sure. on this. I think that's I think that's right, but 
what the Jets are waiting for is to have paid Adam Gase more of the money that they owe him so that less of it will be paid to him while he is no longer under their employment and I think, I think it's, services. It's, it's, it's sunk cost at this point. It's, it's bad. And, and, and I don't think, I think that even if you get the first, even if he does the Eli Manning thing and he's just like, we're not, I'm not going to play for the Jets, having the first overall pick and the ability to trade out of it, if, if that happened, if they were in the Chargers spot, um, I think that that's worth, that's worth more. And you can obviously, you know, trade down to three and get Justin Fields to Trey Lancer. Zach Wilson, who's getting a little bit of buzz here on the Ringer NFL show the last three weeks. All right. Uh, second question. This is from Trixon. Is it nature or nurture with Anthony Lynn? Trent Johnson also just said Anthony Lynn, which got to the which got to the heart of the matter. So, can we there's a lot that? Here. Is it nature or nurture? Like why why they're a disaster all the yeah. time, yet so somehow the, encouraging? The Chargers have blown in the last four games leads of 17, 17, 16, and twenty one. John Ewing they won one of those games, though. They did. John Ewing, um, a PR data guy uh, or a, a betting data guy, said um, that. So in the last twelve years, their record in one score games is awful, awful. And since two thousand fifteen, they've only had a winning record in one score games once. They've had three wins, three wins three wins, six wins, then two wins and one win. Okay. Awful. One and five this year. Okay. Two and nine last year. I don't know if it's bad luck. I don't know if it's bad conditioning. You know, you and I have both explored just the idea that the Patriots always, you know, they have such good conditioning and they run all these hills and all that shit that there's, they have some edge in, in minute 59 of a 60 minute game, all that stuff. I don't know what it is. Something's wrong. And I think that there's, you know, there's thousands of reasons that a team wins a game on a given week, and the Chargers seem to not have a large chunk of those embedded in their in their their structural DNA. Okay, and I don't know what the problem is. I don't. I, they seem to have the talent. They do have the talent. Like Tom Telesco has picked good players. Anthony Lynn seems like a good coach. They get the talent to get this far and be up in these games. That's not easy. And then the inability to keep it, it's maddening. So it ha there has to be something there. I wish I knew more about football to, to diagnose it. If I had to guess, it'd be some mixture of conservative coaching and, and conditioning. That, that would be my guess. Just from what I know about the opposite, which is that aggressive play calling and conditioning helps you win those games late. But I'm not smart enough to figure this out because, quite frankly, no one's smart enough to figure this out. I do remember when the Chargers were considered a potential landing spot for Tom Brady. Yeah. One thing you would hear them. from one thing you would hear from people as a caveat was just yes, he's got California ties. Yes, they have a good roster, but don't discount the fact that they're cheap in a lot of areas of the organization and the air travel and some of the facilities yeah. and being second fiddle in their home stadium and playing in a soccer stadium and all of that stuff. I do think there is a collective toll that we don't necessarily talk about all that often. And the ways in which they've lost are so bizarre and ridiculous and go beyond any one thing. I think it's fair at this point if they felt like Anthony Lynn, it's it, it's been weird, but maybe let's just try shuffling the deck a little bit. It would be fair for them to try almost anything at this point, but I don't think it's primarily coaching. I think there are some organizational failures. He, he was so he was emotional after the the press uh, in his press conference after the game. He said, "What do you want to do? Go hire new players? Go get new coaches in the middle of the season? You can't do that. This is what we have." We're gonna have to figure this shit out right now. Yes. You know, you you know you could get new players and new coaches in the middle of the season, Anthony. Yeah, you maybe don't want to bring that one up. Yeah, don't don't bring that one up. Don't bring that one up. Um, all right. Clickbait headlines tomorrow. Nora, what do you got? The Dolphins should bench Tua and go back to Ryan Fitzpatrick. You canceling Tua is my favorite thing in the world. Everybody I love else at Tua. this website. 
Everybody else on this website is so excited about Tua, and you're ready to trade him for backup for one of the Bears' 11 tight ends. I'm going to, like, bribe one of our producers to go back into the tr- um, trades episode that we did, and instead of me saying Ryan Fitzpatrick should be traded to the Cowboys, I think Tua should be traded yeah. to the Cowboys. You were on Just this the whole time. Just get him out of here. He's you're not on this helping. the whole time. Um, all I'm right. just kidding. I love him. Just not right now. No, you can't. It's over. It's over. The ex- you've pulled the plug on the experiment, and I hear you. All right. Uh, it's like for the me, most likable person in the world. I think that... Are you talking about Tua or May? I'm talking about Tua. Mm. Mm. All right. So um, the uh, my clickbait, I think that there's probably going to be a lot of discussion off of another Jay Glazer report on Sunday, which is that Antonio Brown is living once again at Tom Brady's house, as he was last year, um, and that confirming an earlier report that that Tony Robbins um, was one of the middlemen here and and tried to get Antonio Brown going the right direction. Um, there's no evidence that he's going in the right direction. Um, I've written this. We've talked about this. Uh, talked about Peter King on School Newsday. Uh, I don't know what to say exactly, except to say there's going to be a lot of discussion about this particular narrative going into Sunday Night Football next week against uh, the New Orleans Saints, which will be Antonio Brown's debut. I don't know what Brady's living situation is exactly. I think they're out of Jeter's house, but uh, the only thing this makes me think other than this is a bad idea is in recent history, they've gravitated towards rather open floor plans. And I just would love to know what Giselle thinks. I have no comment on that. It's been the Ring NFL show. It's been the Ring NFL show on the Ringer Podcast Network. Uh, I'll be back on Tuesday for a trade deadline breakdown. Ryan and Cole will be with you on Thursday. Uh, the regular shows with Warren, Joe House, and Chris Vernon taking you through the rest of the week. All of them great shows. All of them worth a listen. Going to be a ton of news this week. This has been the Ring NFL show on the Ringer Podcast Network.